You are listening to Move With Radiance with Stephanie Dankelson, a podcast all about redefining your relationship to exercise, food, and your body by learning how to first redefine the relationship with yourself. Are you ready to discover your inner truth, your inner radiance? Because there is a more freeing way to be fit. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Move with Radiance. I'm your host, Stephanie, and thank you so much for being here. So I always feel like I like to open up these episodes with something that's going on in life or sharing some updates or sharing some news. And I was sitting here today and I'm thinking, I've got nothing. (laughs) And I mean, there's a lot going on, but I... I feel like one, I try and be really honest with you guys with, you know, just my whole process with how things are going in, you know, the business and I try and be really unfiltered because I think that's so important to demonstrate like, Hey, you know, life is not always filtered and rainbows and perfect. And, um, how can I expect you all to, embrace your humanness if I don't embrace mine. And so I'm sitting here and I'm thinking, you know, that's okay that I really don't have anything super inspirational or something crazy to say. And that sometimes it's all right to just be it like it is what it is. (laughs) And that's just, I'm just kind of embracing that right now. Um, I don't know. There's, I've just been a lot on my mind. I've really been working on controlling my anxiety and working through that and have just been trying to give myself a break when it comes to sometimes just not feeling super creative. And that is just the journey I'm on right now. So (laughs) thanks for being on it and for, you know, listening to me talk about all the, all the things and, for allowing me a space to be unfiltered and share um, everything raw and honestly. (laughs) I really appreciate it. With that, we are just going to jump into the interview that I actually had this morning. So really fast turnaround (laughs) on this episode, but I'm super excited to share it with you. Um, So the guest that I have on today is Lauren Newman. And again, I've been meeting all sorts of amazing women through Instagram. And that's how um, Lauren and I found each other. And I, through my personal journey of recovering from disordered eating and exercise addiction, I really identified with intuitive eating. And if you listened, intuitive eating and intuitive movement, if you listened to my episode last week with Austin, we really dug into what that meant for us and how amazing it is to take off all of the rules around food and exercise and just truly start listening to what your body is asking for. And Lauren, um, she posted something a couple of weeks ago around how intuitive eating is a privilege for some people. And by privilege, you know, not trying to put shame or anything around the word privilege, but just a pure statement of some people have the ability to do it and some people don't. And, and 
she's talking around, you know, people who have celiac and who, you know, can't eat whatever they want because it will make them really sick. You know, that's just one example, but it really made me think because, and again, I'm privileged in this situation because I have, you know, said, well, I've never thought of that or, you know, I never, I've never had to worry about that. And so I thought it would be really interesting to have um, Lauren on to talk about her experience with intuitive eating while having um, celiac and just the language around it. And I mean, we dig into so many things. Um, Lauren is actually a dietetic intern and she has, there's a lot of, I think, dietitians sort of moving in the direction of health at every size and I don't know. It's really powerful to talk to someone who I think at least my experience with dietitians in the past have been, you know, really, um, strict around, or I guess in my, in my own experience, I've, it's been more like strict around food and it hasn't been like, there's been a good and a bad and that kind of stuff. So, um, it was really good to, talk with her about, you know, the approach she's taking with, with all of this. And, you know, we do talk about the whole, um, intuitive eating around, we talk about the intuitive eating piece that I explained before, but then we also dig into, you know, what does health at every size mean? And a little bit of the details around that and how, you know, just by looking at someone, no matter what size they are, you cannot, determine, you know, their health. And we go into all of that and more. And it was just a really great conversation. I think we bring up a lot of topics that we're both really passionate about and that need to be talked about more. And yeah, I'm just really excited for you all to um, hear this episode. So let me tell you a little bit about Lauren. Lauren Newman is a dietetic intern, occasional blogger, and ice cream enthusiast who is passionate about helping those with chronic illnesses, specifically type 1 diabetes, improve their relationship with food and their body. She can be found at laurennewmanrd2b.com or on Instagram at gofeedyourself underscore, where she shares thoughts on intuitive eating, health at every size, life as a dietetic intern, and lots of ice cream. I so hope you enjoy this conversation. And without further ado, here is Lauren. Hello, Lauren. Hi, Stephanie. Thanks so much for being here. Of course. <laughs> um, I was excited to talk to you today because, and it's, I think this, it's just so crazy, this space, but I feel like a lot of, um, I've met a lot of really amazing women through Instagram <laughs> and so have I, yeah, <laughs> that's how I found you or vice versa. And you posted something recently around intuitive eating and how it's a privilege for some people. And I thought that was so interesting just because that's not part of my story, but I know that that's part of a lot of people's story. And so I wanted to dig into that today and first just wanted to start off with, letting everyone know who you are and going from there. (laughs) 
Yeah. Um, I'm a dietetic intern currently, which means I'm almost a dietitian. I have like a few more weeks left. So it's always a weird thing to explain if you don't know how that process works, but I'm going to assume that most people are kind of familiar with that. Um, yeah. So I'm a dietetic intern at the University of Texas. So I live in Austin and I have an Instagram account where I talk about <laughs> all things related to intuitive eating, health at every size, nutrition, um, all those kinds of things. Awesome. Um, how did, how did you get into, so I always think it's interesting because I think when most people think of like a dietitian, they think of like restrictions and like kind of, I don't yeah. know. It's, it's interesting to see people in the, like this, this body, uh, body positive or whatever space you want to call this mm-hmm. being dietitians. And so how does that, I, I want to ask you that question because I think that's so cool and so interesting. So how does that work and how did you, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, um, it's definitely very strange and it's also not, it's not what we're taught in school. Mm-hmm. So, um, it's very weird. And I think most dietitians that are in this space have kind of come to this much later in their career. So I think there's a few of us that are currently interns that are already, um, like, health at every size informed and just know these things. And it's really challenging to say the least, um, just to feel like you kind of know these things and you believe certain things, but what you're being taught in classes and what your, your bosses and your preceptors and your professors are talking about is just very counter to that. So mm. it's interesting. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Um, well, let's talk about your take on intuitive eating because I know that that language can be hard for someone who doesn't necessarily relate to that talk when they maybe have a chronic illness or they can't eat whatever they want, you know? So let's talk about that because I think it's important. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think something important about me to know is that I have celiac disease and um, that's not something I talk about on my social media all that frequently just because... I don't want somebody to like stumble across my page and be like, oh, this dietitian is saying that I should be gluten-free, you know? And maybe I just think people think too much of what I say or I don't know. But (laughs) um, I think I'm very much of the mindset that like, if you don't have celiac disease, there's no reason for you to avoid gluten. Um, But yeah, so I just don't talk about it that much on there. But it's definitely an important part of this discussion because I can't eat gluten and yet I eat intuitively. And so that like doesn't really seem to make sense on a surface level. Um, I think that's kind of confusing for certain people. And it was definitely confusing for me at first as well. Um, Especially, I mean, I think it's also important to know that when I first heard about intuitive eating and the idea was introduced to me, I was not on board. I was like, no, that doesn't make any sense. Anything related to intuitive eating, health at every size. I was like, no, not, not into that. That doesn't make any sense. That doesn't resonate with me. Like, that's not what I'm learning in school. I'm learning how to be a dietitian. Like they would have taught me this if this was real, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I guess just like over time and, um, actually with a lot of this, I kind of started digging into the research. I'm a very research minded person. And I kind of dug into it, trying to prove it wrong in a way. <laughs> I'd be like, that's wrong. That doesn't make any sense. But the more I read about it, the more I was like, oh, that is kind of kind of makes sense, but I still struggled with it a lot um, to apply it to myself because I can't eat gluten. And I was like, well, the way that people talk about this, it doesn't make any sense. You know, we hear a lot of um, 
a lot of talk about like, I mean, everybody uses the hashtag all foods fit and things like that. And so that's something that I was like, but gluten doesn't fit, you know, or, um, saying like, trust your body and respect your body and like, don't have anxiety around food. And I was like, yeah, but like, that doesn't work when you have celiac disease and that doesn't work when you have all these other conditions. So, um, it was just kind of frustrating to me at first to try and wrap my head around that. Yeah. So how, how did you get to the mindset that you're at now where you're like, where you are, you have celiac and you start eating intuitively, you know, how did that, when did that click to where you're like, oh, I can do that even though I can't have gluten or like, how do you do that? You know, with like, how did I get to that point or how yeah. did I actually make it work? Let's do, let's do both. Let's answer okay. both of those questions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, okay. So how did I get to that point? I think it was just a lot of things that kind of happened all at once. Um, I think about two years ago, I was feeling like just really stressed and really burnt out around food. You know, it's, um, I think anybody who has any kind of chronic illness or any type of food allergy or anything like that can totally relate when I say it's just so exhausting to think about it all the time and every single decision you have to make like around food, you have to think about it. So it's just a lot. And then at the same time, I was like finishing a really hard nutrition semester. (laughs) So I was just thinking about food even more like all the time because that's what my job was at that point. You know, I was in school to be a dietitian and taking all of those nutrition classes. And I was also um, working in a nutrition related job. And I was just like, sorry, I felt like I was going to (laughs) sneeze. I was was just like so overwhelmed by it. And I was kind of like, I think I'm just going to not, I'm just going to not right now. Like, I just can't stress about it. It's just so exhausting. I was just so burnt out from it. And around the same time, I had also kind of stumbled across um, Christy Harrison's podcast, Food Psych. And so did um, a few of my friends. And just kind of like within that whole time frame, um, started learning about intuitive eating. But it was also, I think I kind of started going into it with the mindset of, I just can't think about food anymore. I'm just so burnt out thinking about food and making decisions about food. So I'm just going to like, you know, eat whatever it's, it was almost it was like exactly two years ago. So we're going into the summer. I was like, I'm off from school. I like don't have to really think about anything right now. I'm just going to not do it for a little bit. And had a few friends that were also starting to learn about this kind of stuff. And we just like, we're having conversations about it. And I don't think I really realized that that's what was happening at the time. But when I look back on it now, I think it was around that time period that I started kind of figuring it out and learning about it. Um, It definitely took a long time for it to actually look like it does now. Um, And I think that's something that people also don't talk about enough with intuitive eating. They say like, oh, like I learned about it. And then it's like, now I do it. And nobody talks about that like in between. So there's been like two years in between that of me being like, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing um, and trying to figure it out. So there's definitely, it was definitely a process. Yeah. And so with that too, and I'm just genuinely curious. So like you just knew when you, when you stress out about food, you know, it's, I think maybe 
it's probably added because you can't have gluten, right? Because mm-hmm. then you get really sick. So it's like, not only are you stressing out, you know, for me, I was stressing out about food because I was obsessed around looking a certain way. And then on top of it, like not being able to have something. And so I'm sure as you started to learn to eat more intuitively, I'm just so curious of what that looks like when you can't have gluten. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I mean, I think one of, so I think one of the big things is that I had to, all of those things I was saying before that, um, those like phrases and the language that we use around intuitive eating that didn't really resonate. I kind of had to, um, work through that and figure out how that kind of fit for me. And so I think some of it was just also understanding that. And I think this is something that a lot of people need to understand is that most of the people that are talking about intuitive eating are professional healthcare professionals that work with people with eating disorders. Mm -hmm. So when you think about it in that context, using those phrases, like makes sense. It resonates for people with disordered eating or an eating disorder. But um, I think intuitive eating needs to go beyond just people with eating disorders. And so I think for me, just understanding that that's where that language was coming from was really helpful. But then also understanding that when you talk about like trusting your body and things like that, um, I can't. And for a lot of people with any type of chronic illness or anything like that, they will relate to this when I say like, I can't trust my body to do what it's quote unquote supposed to do all the time, because that's just not how it's built, you know? And so first of all, just accepting that in itself is one level of it. And then the other level of it is understanding that when I think about intuitive eating and trusting my body, I've kind of reframed that thought. So it's not about trusting my body to do what it's supposed to do. It's trusting my body to communicate with me. Mm. And that's how I think about intuitive eating. So I can trust, I don't, can't trust that my body's going to like just do exactly biologically how it's supposed to work all the time, but I can trust that it's going to communicate things to me and I can choose to listen to that or not. Interesting. Yeah. I like that perspective because, and I think it just comes back to like, just listening, you know, being Mm -hmm. aware and reconnecting ourselves back to our body. Because I think that's just something that is similar across the board is there's this disconnection. Yeah. And I think that disconnection is really common as well in people that have any type of illness or anything, because um, you don't want to feel connected to something that you feel like is just when you feel like your body's freaking out on you all the time. It's like not something that you think you want to be a part of. You're like, no, no, let me not connect with that. You know? Yeah. Yeah. How did you how did you start working on that relationship? Because I'm sure um, that was that was hard too. Yeah, definitely hard. Um, I think it just all kind of like flows and spirals together. Like once you start trying to figure this stuff out, it just I don't know. I mean, I know a lot of like physically connecting with my body for me had to do with like changing how I was exercising and moving in my body as well. Um, so that was another part of it. And I feel like once you start intuitive eating, it just leads to like intuitive movement, which then leads to just intuitive living in general. And, um, I think it's really interesting how that everybody that I talk to kind of has the same experience with that all spiraling up together. Yeah. It's, I was, I was thinking about that too, because I think what happens then, you know, when you start living from an intuitive mindset, you make space for something else other than food in your body. So then now it starts becoming like, 
oh, well, what do I feel like doing today? And I think you start creating that connection with yourself again, where you learn what you like (laughs) or learn what you want. (laughs) Yes. How have you started living more intuitively? I'm I just, I love having these conversations. So I'm always curious <laughs> what that has looked like for you. Um, yeah, well, I mean, I think one of the hard things for me too was trying to separate this out because while I was going through all of this, I was also in school to be a dietitian. Yeah. So it's kind of hard to like, I don't know. I feel like so many people, when they talk about this, they're like, oh, like I just, I learned to make more space for other things besides food and nutrition in my life. And I'm like, I mean, yes, I did. But like also the stuff that I made space for, the the stuff that I made space for was more just like nutrition related things that I was doing because that's my career. But um, yeah, but I think it, I mean, I've definitely become like much more flexible with food and eating in general to the extent that I can be um because again like there are definitely restrictions and things that I can't do and like rules that I need to have in place to like keep myself safe um but I've definitely become more like flexible with it and not as stressed about it about eating um which is very helpful and I think my friends really appreciate (laughs) Um, yeah but there's that. And then in terms of like movement as well, um, I actually used to work in fitness and I stopped doing that. I left that, um, world and I don't do that anymore. And I kind of just like do whatever feels good, like a whole variety of things, um, randomly. And just, I don't know, like lately I've just been going for a lot of walks and just cause that's what feels good, but I don't know. Um, but I'm also, I also want to, add a caveat in there that like I definitely don't think that just going for walks or like doing any kind of dental movement is the only way to have an intuitive relationship with exercise like I think you can do more intense forms of movement and I do frequently but just throwing it out there that that's just what I've been doing right now just because I feel like it um yeah and I think just kind of the way I've been making decisions in my life has changed as well like I I'm definitely still a planner and think through things very carefully, but um, like, I'm not saying I make very impulsive decisions now because I'm not an impulsive person, but um, just kind of the way I make decisions about what I'm doing or um, especially right now, I'm like figuring out where I'm going to be living and what I'm going to be, where I'm going to be working when I finish. And (laughs) it's just been like a lot more of an intuitive um, kind of decision-making process. Yeah, where it's just you feel a little bit more in tune with what it is you actually want. Yeah. Yeah, I think, yeah, totally agree. (laughs) Um, So when, how, okay. So how are you, I have so many, my brain is like going in six different directions. I'm trying to hone it in on one question. That's okay. So when you actually become a dietitian in the next right couple of weeks, you said it's just super mm-hmm. exciting. What is your approach going to be looking like? Cause I know, you know, we talk, we're talking about this health at every size and, or do you know that yet? Like, do you know like what that's going to look like or um, how you're going to be working with people and how are you starting to speak differently when it comes to being a dietitian and what are your beliefs around health at every size? So that was a lot of stuff in one. So many questions. Okay. Let me 
into what? Yeah. <laughs> let me, okay. Let me start with, um, so what I want to be doing when I'm done yeah. is I want to be working with individuals that have type one diabetes and a disordered relationship with food or an eating disorder, like the intersection of those two things. Mm-hmm. So, um, it's definitely a very specific population, but, um, I love type one. And if y'all don't know what type one diabetes is, it's very different than type two diabetes. Um, I think the best way to explain it is that in type one diabetes, your pancreas just stops producing insulin. Um, in type two diabetes, your pancreas still produces insulin, but your cells are insulin resistant. So they can't function with that. So it's two very different diseases. And I always like to clarify that because I think a lot of people don't know the difference between the two. And type one diabetes is usually what we think of as juvenile diabetes. So um, it's not actually called that anymore because you can be diagnosed at any age really. But um, yeah, it's usually diagnosed when the person is very young, um, usually a child, and it's something that they grow up with. So when you have type one diabetes, your pancreas doesn't produce insulin. So you need to be giving yourself insulin all day. So most people have an insulin pump that does that, but it's still like you manually have to put it in. It doesn't automatically for the most part, there are some really advanced technologies that are kind of working on looping that system. But um, yeah, so it's something that you grow up with where you are constantly having to give yourself insulin. And the way that you dose insulin is based on how many carbohydrates you're eating at a meal. So that is a situation, again, where intuitive eating doesn't really seem like it makes sense because you are constantly giving yourself Uh, you're constantly having to count what you're eating and being super cautious about how many carbohydrates you're eating and your meal composition and the timing of everything. And you have to know those things. Like it's not an option to not know those things. So that's another population where like disordered eating pops up very, very frequently because that's, it's almost like an inherent thing. It's just built in that you're going to be eating in this kind of hyper aware and disordered way for that's how you're raised because that's how you grow up with it. And um, yeah, it's just a really interesting intersection to me because I, of course, like believe in intuitive eating and practice from a very weight neutral and health at every size approach. So yeah. And so I think that that's an important thing to remember, like intuitive eating, I think the point of it is to get away from this size-specific mentality. Or there's, I mean, there's lots of reasons for eating intuitively, but I think it comes back to stopping, like the, the obsessiveness around wanting to be a specific size or this like need to be look a certain way. And so when you move into this intuitive space, you're just... Do it, just reconnecting again and listening to what your body's saying. Is that, do you? Kind of, yeah. That- yeah. So I think from, um, I think practicing from a health at every size approach means that um, when you, when we talk about health at every size, I think it's the idea that weight is not a good indicator of health. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of other things that we can use to determine somebody's health status. And one of those things I think is really important to know is like the way that they engage with food. And so that could be like their relationship with food is a big deal, of course. And I think intuitive eating kind of helps heal that relationship. And I think what people eat are eating 
is also important as well. And that's kind of like that gentle nutrition aspect of intuitive eating, which I think in certain situations needs to be highlighted more than in others. So for example, somebody who's recovering from eating disorder, I wouldn't ever jump right into like that gentle nutrition aspect because they know all the nutrition information, you know, like maybe there's a little bit of education of like some misinformation going on, but that's not an area that you would want to jump right into. But if somebody has type one diabetes, for example, or chronic kidney disease or like any other kind of really serious health condition, um, that nutrition aspect needs to kind of be forefront in a lot of situations just because that's kind of crucial to their literal survival. You know, like if you're not, if you don't understand what that is, then going back to that um, person that has type one diabetes, nutrition is really important because if they don't understand what's going on there, then like you're dosing insulin based on how many carbs you're eating. So if you're not counting correctly or if you're not um, understanding your meal composition or like how that's going to play out, you could wind up either not giving enough insulin and you wind up with really high blood sugar and could possibly go into DKA, which is really dangerous, or you might overdose insulin and then wind up really hypoglycemic, which could kill you. Mm. So it's um, in terms of like working with, I think that's something that, um, gets lost a little bit in this conversation around intuitive eating because like I said before I think most of the people that are talking about it and I think a lot of people hear about this like through Instagram and yeah. online which is like great because it's a really cool way to communicate um but it, again it's a lot of people that are talking that are working with eating disorders that are talking about this and when you're working with eating disorders that's not really what you're thinking about so you're not really thinking about the people that have chronic kidney disease or heart failure or like um, diabetes or anything like that, you're really, unless your patient has that, but that's usually not the case. It's usually just somebody with an eating disorder. So I think that the discussion around intuitive eating kind of leaves those parts of the conversation out. And um, I mean, in undergrad, like I loved all of the medical part of nutrition. Like I loved working in a hospital and my clinical rotations were amazing. And um, I think that's kind of one of the reasons why I'm trying to like bridge that gap a little bit. And I think one of the main issues, like I was saying before, it's just that language that um, we're using around it. Yeah. And so is, is the language then for you just ch- kind of changing it to being like li- your body's communicating with you, listen to what that's saying, or is there more of what your, how, like, how are you... Uh, how is the gap? Yeah. Being okay. So I, so I think one of the most important things, I don't think that the language necessarily needs to change because in, well, okay. <laughs> I think the people, when you're talking to people with eating disorders, I think that language really is appropriate and it really does resonate. And like, that's great. Um, however, I do think that we need to acknowledge the privilege that's going on in that conversation as well. And I also want to preface this part of this conversation by saying that when I talk about privilege, I'm not trying to shame anybody privilege. Like I don't see privilege as something that we need to be like guilty or shameful about. Um, and it, priv- having privilege also doesn't mean that you don't have any other problems. Mm-hmm. So I like to think of privilege as like the opposite of oppression. So if you're not being oppressed for something than for like a specific characteristic or trait that you have, then you have privilege in that area. So I kind of like to think about it on that spectrum. 
Um, and another thing that just somebody said to me recently that I, that really resonated with me, they said, if you've ever said, Oh, I've never had to think about that. When you're somebody's talking to you, that's a sign that you have privilege in that conversation. So I think that's coming up a lot when I'm having this conversation, people are like, Oh, I never thought about it that way. And I think that's just a way to acknowledge that a lot of us that are having this conversation have privilege in that way. So, um, when I made that post a few weeks ago about being able to eat all the foods as a privilege, there were a lot of things to that. And I actually wound up writing a whole nother blog post, like as Mm -hmm. an addition to that, because I got a lot of really great feedback, but I think it's just, I don't think that the language necessarily needs to change. I just think that we need to acknowledge the privilege that we have in those conversations. So for example, saying that, um, like being able to eat all of the foods is definitely a privilege. So people with food allergies can't, ha- can't do that. You know, there are foods that they just can't eat. If somebody has um, certain health conditions, they have to be mindful about the foods that they consume or like when they consume them, um, like the timing of certain things. So they might still be able to eat all the foods, but like maybe timing plays a part. So it's not exactly the same as the way that our language around intuitive eating traditionally talks about them. Um, if somebody has any kind of, I mean, I think it's really important as well to acknowledge like financial privilege as well in this situation. So if somebody has some kind of like financial restriction or access to food, um, struggle with access to food, then that's definitely a privilege as well that they don't have, um, being able to eat all the foods. So like, that's one of the things, um, another is, again, like I said before, like being able to trust your body to do what it's quote unquote supposed to do. So if you have some kind of illness, like that's not really something that resonates with you because that's not something that your body is biologically able to do. And being able to like eat without anxiety, that's another really big one for me. Um, That that's the goal for so many people with intuitive eating to like eliminate that anxiety around food. However, that's a privilege to be able to not be able to eat, to be able to eat without anxiety because if somebody has a food allergy, um, you like, you need to have a baseline level of anxiety around food because that's what keeps you safe. Like having that anxiety around food is what's going to motivate you to like check labels and ask questions and just be aware of what you're doing or who's eating what and whatever. And so like having that baseline level of anxiety, we talk about in like the food allergy community all the time as like being kind of important. And so there's like that fine balance between being like overly anxious that it's like causing you stress or um, like discomfort or anything like that, but also having enough anxiety that like you're motivated to actually do the things that are going to keep you safe. Also, again, if somebody has, um, if somebody's food insecure or has a history of food insecurity, there will always be anxiety around eating. Like that's not something that will go away. So that's um, just another area where like there's definitely privilege in being able to do that. And then the other one that's been kind of weighing on me a lot lately because I've been seeing this pop up in multiple forms of this quote, like all over social media is that idea that like stress is worse for your body than any food could ever be. Or I saw another version of it this morning that was like slightly different, but kind of along the same lines. Um, And I really do get the sentiment behind that because again, it's talking to people with disordered eating, but the sentiment, I mean, if you don't understand that, or if you haven't seen that around the sentiment behind that is the idea that 
stress increases cortisol and excess cortisol is like not good for your body, which it's not. Um, and so being like overly stressed about, about food or about like eating a cookie or about deciding which, what you're going to do, like that's probably worse for your body than just like eating the cookie or whatever other bad, quote unquote, bad food would be. And so like, I totally get that sentiment and it makes sense. Like, again, I'm not saying that that language necessarily needs to change because for somebody with an eating disorder, like I can see that sentiment really, really resonating with them and being like, oh my God, wow. Yeah. Like I need to be more aware of how stressed I am about eating this food. I should just eat it because it's not a big deal. And I think that's so important for people with disordered eating to realize. And at the same time, that's also a privilege to feel that stress is worse for your body than any food could ever be. Mm. Right. Because if it physically makes you sick or if it's like, that's just yeah. not, that's bad. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, like there are certain, I think there are certain situations where like a food might actually be really bad for you, you know? Mm. Yeah. So with your, I'm, I'm curious around your approach to um, when you start working with those who have like this disordered eating relationship with food, but also have like type one diabetes, like how, how do you help them not be like, how do you help them with their disordered eating, but then also be conscious in a healthy way with diabetes and insulin and all of the carbs and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. It's, um, definitely really complicated. Yeah. Um, and I, I mean, I think it also really, like it really just depends on the person and where they're at, but, um, again, like I was saying before, I think there are certain situations where the, um, nutrition, gentle nutrition part of it needs to come in a lot sooner, And a lot of what I see with people that have type one is they have very little actual nutrition um, education or information. And a lot of what they do know about nutrition is stuff that they have read online or learned from friends that isn't necessarily correct or the healthiest for their body. Um, Yeah. Even when you start looking through, because I just... I read a lot, but, um, I read a lot of the like diabetes and like type one blogs and websites and all these things. And even there they have like food and nutrition sections on their websites, but none of those articles are written by dietitians. Hmm. A lot of them are just by people being like, this is what I do. Like I have type one diabetes and this is what I do. And this works for me. And people are, that's like the nutrition information that people are getting. Um, so I think that when somebody in that situation has disordered eating, it's usually a factor of, um, or usually a product of inaccurate information. Um, so there's that. And then I think there's also a lot of bad diets that get thrown into this population. So, um, keto is a big one that I'm seeing right now. Everybody that I know with type one is asking me about keto. And (laughs) it's interesting too, because one of the reasons why that's being thrown around a lot is because you do have better blood glucose control with a ketogenic diet because you're not eating any carbs. Right. So like if you're not eating any carbs and you're not dosing insulin, then your blood sugar is not going all over the place. So like it kind of makes sense that they're like, Oh yeah, it's effective and like whatever. But also 
that doesn't teach you how, and I think this is like a really big point too, like that doesn't teach you how to actually live your life and like honor your cravings or like what you actually want to eat. And so when I've talked to a few people about that, they've been like, well, but it's better for my blood glucose control. And I'm like, okay, yes, you are not having all of these crazy highs and lows in your blood sugar, but you're also like obsessing over what you're eating. And that's not like a healthy way to engage with food and it's not making you happy. And you're also not learning how to eat the things that you want to eat and manage your blood sugar at the same time. And so what happens to a lot of people in this situation are, or what they've said to me is like, yeah, well, I would want to eat intuitively or I would want to eat like a cookie or whatever it is, or even just like pasta. Like I'd want to eat that but I don't know how to dose my insulin for it. So like, I'm not going to do it. And they're scared to eat those foods because they don't know how to manage it with Mm -hmm. their, with their, um, with their diabetes. So it's, I think it's learning how to, first of all, learning like the nutrition information (laughs) behind all of that, but then also learning how to manage that. And um, that's going to be different for everybody. And I won't go into like all the science of uh, insulin and dosing and, all of the fun pump settings and whatever, but <laughs> there are a lot of things that you can do when you understand those, uh, the way that those things work to help somebody learn how to manage that. And I think a lot of, um, a lot of that anxiety kind of dissipates when you have experiences where you're able to manage it. Or, and I think that's true with anybody with an eating disorder or disordered eating. Once you have an experience with a certain food where you're able to like be okay or you're able to manage it with your blood sugar or you're able to like be like oh like my body didn't completely like balloon up overnight because I ate pasta you know um it's definitely like a reassuring thing and you can kind of like start building from there so little little baby steps but yeah Yeah, the education piece is really crucial I think when it comes to just food and like like that for someone who's struggling with that like that's Something that is so not communicated today, especially when all of these like fad diets and stuff are coming out and people are like, I have to do that. And then they don't understand the education behind those things. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, And that's like a whole nother conversation that we could go into because there's just so much about there's so many layers to that. Just like people not understanding research, dietitians not being thought of as like the expert in nutrition. There's just so many layers to it that, yeah. We could talk about fad diets. We could just do an entire podcast series just on that. <laughs> I know, which I definitely want to do at some point. Um, because there's, it's just stuff is really miscommunicated. And I think that that's kind of where the obsession starts. You know, people are like, there's this whole thing of carbs are really bad. And so I can't have carbs. And then it turns into low fat diet this. And there's just so much with, I think, you know, the difference between men and women's bodies and how certain foods affect just different things. And yeah. Yeah. And there's just so much of a value placed on the way that we eat in our society and like there's, if you're in a thinner body, you have more value in our society. That's just like how it functions right now. It's not saying that's correct, but that's just how it is. If you're, um, if you're healthy, you have more privilege and 
um, than somebody who's unhealthy. And so there's just the way our society is set up right now, there's just so much involved in that. Like your value as a human being is just so tied up in that. And so I think that drives a lot of people to like eat a certain way or um, behave a certain way around food or a movement just to fit into those social constructs. Yeah. So I've, I have one more question before I wanted to, I want to ask your expertise on this because, and especially being a dietitian in this health at every size space, um, a lot of people have these judgments around what it means to be a certain size. And I think a lot of people will see someone and automatically assume without knowing anything about them that because they're that size, they are unhealthy. And so what are some indicators of health versus not health, you know, instead of size? And we could probably talk about this for a while, but just to help maybe start this conversation. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I think that's a great question. And it's something that I, I talk about a lot um, in the dietetics profession, because I think there is a lot of, we're talking about is weight stigma. And I think there is a lot of weight stigma within healthcare. And I mean, there is, Mm -hmm. it's not just what I think, like there are studies showing like how pervasive this is in healthcare and especially in dietetics. Um, And I've given entire presentations on this, but I think in there's so my brain you can't hear what my brain is thinking it's going two directions right here right now there is one side of my brain that's going in terms of like healthcare and in terms of like going to the doctor like what are signs of health and then in terms of what you can tell on your own so let me split those two things up so i yeah. think in terms of like actual like going to the doctor doctors visits healthcare labs those kinds of things actual health i think can be determined by things like your labs and your blood test. Like you can look at your blood pressure. You can look at your heart rate. You can look at like all these, like all these different medical tests that we can do, um, to kind of figure that out on your own. Um, and I won't go into the science of all those things, but, um, on your own, I think a way to tell that you're healthy is looking at things like if you're a woman, are you getting your period? Like that is a huge red flag right away. If you're not like that's, that's a big deal. Um, I think if you look at like your hair and your skin and your nails, like those are really good indicators of how your body's functioning. Um, if you look at your digestive system, like, are you going to the bathroom regularly? Like, are you having any like normal, like bloating is normal in certain situations. Um, it's like very normal to like have bloating or gas, whatever occasionally. But if you're having any type of like excessive issues with that, that would definitely be a sign that like something's kind of off. Um, if you're having any type of like pain that just won't go away, like normal, like headaches occasionally or having like being like sore after a workout or things like that, like are pretty normal things. But if it isn't, if it's anything that's excessive or really prolonged, I think that's a sign that there's something wrong. So I think there are definitely things like, I think also having enough energy, like Mm. that's a really big deal. Um, I think, also having a decent relationship with food is a really big one. Um, yeah. And then there's also all of like the mental health aspects of that you could, that I don't think a doctor can really know. I think it's more like you need to be able to understand like how you're functioning and do you, 
I mean, I'm not like a psychologist or therapist, so I don't want to pretend to be trained in those areas, but like, um, I think knowing your own mental health and like how you're engaging with like friends and family and, um, motivation and how you're like, how regulated your mood is, things like that. Those are all kind of things that you can look at on your own to tell like your general health status. Um, I don't think size is relevant at all in that conversation. No. And I agree with that hundred million percent because it's, it's so individual and I think a lot of people say, well, because they're a certain size, like, like overweightness, whatever you want to call that, leads to X, Y, and Z. And so if you are overweight, you will have these certain yeah. conditions. So here's the thing about that. Size is correlated with certain health conditions. It does not mean that if you are a certain size, you will automatically get it. Um, it also is important to know that weight stigma and the oppression that people in larger bodies face in our society is just as detrimental to health as any type of other like racial oppression or things like that. We've seen that in research time and time again. Um, so like just the stress of being in a larger body and like being oppressed for that can damage health. And then on top of that, what normally happens when somebody is in a larger body is they're told to diet, which then puts them into this, um, this dieting cycle where they're like, and I'm, I'm, I know I've heard you talk about this before, so I know your listeners kind of are familiar with this, but where like you go on a diet, so you lose weight and then you wind up like gaining weight back and you just go in the circle. And not only does that affect your weight, it also affects you your body on a more like metabolic level and on a physiologic level. And that actually does a lot of damage to your body. So constantly being on that, like gain, lose, like cycle, um, it messes with your metabolism, first of all. And then it also leads to chronic inflammation and like heart problems and things like that. And so when we look at those associations and those correlations between being in a larger body and uh, these health conditions, it's kind of unclear whether it's we don't, so back up. It's not that it's unclear. It's that the nobody's, nobody can really say that it's because you're in a larger body. What we know is that, um, so it's not that it's from the weight itself. Those associations are more likely caused by this constant weight cycling that you're going, that your body's going through and that you're putting your body through just because of what our society tells you about your body. Um, and also that oppression that you're facing. So those two things combined, the weight cycling and the oppression of being in a larger body might be the cause of those health conditions, not the actual size of your body. And then additionally, when you look at the research, this is like one area of research that I've been really into lately because I just think it's so fascinating. So what the idea is in our society is that, oh, it's about the weight, right? So that what would make sense then is if you take somebody who has excessive adipose tissue, so like excessive fat, and you just took all the fat out of their body, then wouldn't they just be healthier? So then what they do is they look at these studies on liposuction and they say, okay, if we just take out the fat cells from somebody's body, are they healthier? And actually, no, there's no improvement in anything like I was talking about before, like blood glucose control, blood pressure, heart disease, like there's no improvement in any of those things. So it's not about the adipose tissue itself. So it's not about the fat. That stuff, it's... <laughs> Like, like, I love, I, I love this. I love that you dug into this because that, that to me, I've been very curious about all of that too. I'm not, 
I've taken, you know, classes. I'm not trained <laughs> to, to look at yeah. that kind of stuff. So that, thank you for <laughs> saying that. Cause yeah, it is, it, it going to be a whole other conversation that we can go into, but I think that that piece of it in itself for people to know that can maybe alleviate some stress when it comes to, I need to lose weight to be healthy. Like, yeah. Like, and I think it's also important to know that like, I think a lot of people get really, so it's less common now to have people be like, oh yeah, I want to lose weight because I want to like go on a diet or I want to look a certain way. People kind of know that socially that's not really how we talk about it anymore. So a lot of times now we hear people talking about like, oh, it's going to, I'm going to like have a lifestyle change or I'm um, going to improve my health or so-and-so in my family has diabetes or heart disease. And so I don't want to get that because I'm at risk. In those situations, there are people with all of those health conditions that are in smaller bodies as well. And so when you look at that from a healthcare perspective, and this is what I talk about with healthcare professionals and with dietitians all the time, is that how would you treat a person that had diabetes, for example, if they had a BMI of 22? Like, what would you do in that situation? Because in that situation, you wouldn't tell somebody to lose weight because clearly, like, they have a quote unquote healthy BMI. They're totally quote unquote normal. Like, you can't tell them to lose weight. So, like, what would be your medical intervention for them then? And that's the conversation that like us in the health at every size world are kind of, are kind of trying to push healthcare providers towards is saying like, okay, what would I do for this person with this health condition if they had a BMI of 22? Because that kind of forces you to think. And I think that's something that people like just the general public doesn't fully understand is that you can have any of these health conditions. Like you can have diabetes, you can have heart disease, you can have high blood pressure, you can have all of these, you can have cancer, you can have all of these things if you are at a normal weight as well. And that's just not talked about enough. Um, and so I think it's important to understand that because a lot of people I hear are going towards this conversation of, well, I'm just trying to improve my health or I'm just trying to not get this certain disease. And you can get that disease at any size. And I'm not trying to like scare you and make you think you're going to like get really sick, but it is possible to get those things. And the way that we measure success and um, like the progression of those diseases isn't about size. It's about all these other indicators of health that we were talking about before. Absolutely. Totally. And I've seen that conversation change and that really makes me so angry because the focus is solely on the weight. And it's like, there's so many other things that your body is communicating to you that you are probably not listening to because you're solely focused on the weight. And so it, it really is this whole big picture of individualization, like it's so individualized with your specific body and listening to it and communicate, like just, I get so excited about these conversations. No, same. I do too. That's why I talk about it all the time because yeah, yeah, that's why I made this all online social media account to, I don't even talk about it in the right lingo. I'm like, (laughs) social media, I have an Instagram account. I talk about it just because I like talking about it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, I swore we had like 20 minutes left, but we are coming to the end of our time, which I'm like, I just want to dig into this more. So maybe we'll have to have a whole other conversation about it because it's so important. Um, All of this today was really important and I really appreciate your time. Is there anything else you want to say before we end our time today? One question, one question two, where can people find you if they want to connect? 
Um, I guess the one thing that I would add, and I think it's kind of clear based on this conversation, but after I made that post, um, I got a lot of messages from people asking like, well, I'm just confused. Like, do you not support intuitive eating if you think it's like a privilege? And I just want to be clear that like, of course I support intuitive eating. Like, I think I confused a bunch of people with that post. So I'm sorry if I confused you. Um, I definitely support intuitive eating. I think that's kind of clear from this conversation. So I just want to add that in. But yeah, so you can find me. Um, I'm on Instagram. My account is go feed yourself um, with an underscore at the end there. And uh, I have a blog slash website as well. Um, it's laurennewmanrd2b.com. Perfect. And I will link all of that up in the show notes so that people can find you. And thank you so much for being here today. Thank you, Stephanie. <laughs> um, awesome. Well, Thanks everyone for listening and we will all chat soon. Bye. Thank you so, so much for listening and for being here with me. If you want more resources, pop on over to www.stephanie-dankelson.com. And until next time, stay radiant.